Hi, this is Brian Landau, and you're listening to The Drip, a podcast about how to caffeinate your campaigns. Today, I'm joined by Lauren DePaola. Lauren is Deputy Vice President for Public Affairs at Pharma, which is a trade group representing the pharmaceutical industry. In this episode, we talk about why pharma built out its own tech stack, messaging to discrete stakeholder groups, and how COVID has impacted how the association has thought about its messaging. I love this conversation with Lauren because it really highlights the complexity of targeted messaging to discrete stakeholder groups. I think that there's a ton that both B2B and direct-to-consumer businesses can learn from trade associations. When businesses and organizations think about audio content, the plan is usually to create a podcast and publish it to Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts because that's the default tactic. But that strategy is different than how they might think about owned content in other formats. How and where a trade association messages its members is different from how and where it messages staffers and influencers on Capitol Hill. And certainly, it's different from how they might message regular consumers for grassroots advocacy work. I think there is a huge opportunity for associations to leverage audio, but it needs to be done in a more targeted fashion. Venly is an audio content management system that is built for enterprises and organizations. With Venly, you can distribute your content in players that look and feel like your brand to your existing channels of communication. For example, let's say that you're a trade organization and you want to leverage the thought leadership of your members. Using Venly, you can share that content to your member listserv and also embed it on your blog. You might also want to create messaging that is targeted to staffers on Capitol Hill. And using Venly, you can share that via text message. Maybe you also want to leverage the experiences of regular people and you can share that content to LinkedIn and Facebook. And if you're like Lauren and you're lucky enough to have your own tech stack at your disposal, you can attach a UTM tag to the Venly players and ingest that data into your system for enhanced performance metrics. Do you have questions about how audio can elevate how you might message and communicate with your stakeholders? Email me at brian at venly.co. That's brian, B-R-I-A-N, at venly, V-E-N-N-L-Y, dot C-O. And now, the amazing Lauren DiPaola. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Brian. Lauren DiPaola is Deputy Vice President of Public Affairs at Pharma, overseeing digital and social media operations. Prior to joining Pharma, Lauren worked for large and boutique public relations firms where she led corporate, association, and government clients in the development of data-driven social media programs and digital campaigns. When not cultivating active social communities, Lauren can be found chasing her sons around Capitol Hill with her husband and schnoodle, Goldie. Lauren, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. Okay, so can, let's just start by defining the work at Pharma and what your role within the organization is. Sure. Pharma is the biopharmaceutical trade association representing kind of big brand pharmaceutical companies that develop innovative health solutions for patients. And my particular role, I serve um, on the public affairs team. I lead our digital and social media operations. So that includes kind of our digital infrastructure, as well as managing our marketing campaigns um, on various issues that the industry is facing. 
So one of the things that I think is so interesting about association work is there are so many different stakeholder groups. You have members, you have the general public, there's thought leadership, you might have a conference, which has a sort of a different consumer angle to it. There's members of Capitol Hill that uh, you need to lobby and, and influence. How do you think about communicating to these different stakeholder groups online? Do they have distinct communication channels or is there overlap across all of them? I would say more and more with online communications, there's overlap, but we definitely think about personalization and customization as it relates to the stakeholder groups that we're communicating with online on any particular issue. Typically, a pharma um, kind of online program will include a ton of audience research to best understand how we can engage and communicate in a relatable way. Um, our particular position on a given healthcare issue. Within that, I mean, we are always doing a ton of market research, environmental insights monitoring, and you know, really just getting to know the needs of patients and our target audiences and finding the best overlap um, between our communication strategy and where they're most likely to be receptive to messaging from our industry. Some of the messaging is very science heavy, I imagine, but some of it is also intended for someone like me who is just trying to gather as much information in lay terms yeah. as possible. There's a huge opportunity there, but also I imagine some challenges. How do you think about those messaging strategies depending on who that individual is with respect to their aptitude around the science? Yeah, just given that we're in the healthcare policy space, um, there's a lot of translation opportunity. Um, I think even um, when you get a healthcare policy expert thinking and talking about a particular topic, there's opportunity to translate that into kind of what the patient experience is and how that particular policy issue can impact an individual in their real life situation. And I think that's how we really best communicate policy implications and what it means for a patient in terms of what that particular policy agenda or policy change can mean. Once you bring it down to kind of one's own experience or a patient's personal experience, it becomes much more relatable. Um, whereas if you keep it kind of in the policy discussion, it's a bit more wonky and a little bit harder uh, to relate to. I think for some regular people, there's uh, a bit of cynicism about the pharma industry in general. Uh, one or two bad actors can taint the perception for a whole industry. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think that's fair, but perception sometimes can be reality for, for individuals. Maybe this is specific to the advocate supporters cohort, but mm -hmm. how do you navigate this perception? Again, I think that's also where one's personal experience comes in. Historically, before we hit COVID, some of our biggest advocates were patients that have experienced a illness or disease that has greatly been impacted by the discoveries of the biopharmaceutical industry and their, you know, appreciation for whatever life-saving treatment they were able to receive really made them understand the value of the industry to kind of human life. The pandemic kind of changed that a bit because everyone is now <laughs> waiting for the next discovery, the next vaccine to be approved. Thankfully, we have several options now on the table um, and you know hopefully more coming to market with FDA approval. Um, it's that personal experience that makes you really supportive of an industry. Um, and when you haven't had that personal experience, the 
you know, the bad actor stories that we've heard over the past few decades of individuals within the space have really created some reputational challenges for our industry. Thankfully, pharma and our member companies are really committed to ensuring that patients get the best outcomes um, and allowing us to invest as much as we can in research and development to kind of find the next treatment or cure for some of the country's top impacting diseases, whether it be cancer, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, these ones that are really, you know, costing patients their lives, as well as costing the economy a ton of money to treat um, and and treat patients. We'd really like there to be more options um, to help people live longer, healthier lives. Uh, I think, you know, finding ways that the industry can demonstrate a personal value to a patient has really, you know, made people see past some of the the negative stories that the news brings to light. Well, let's stay on this topic a little bit. So we're we're preoccupied with COVID, rightfully so, right? (laughs) Um, But the work in pharma around cancer, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, there's too many to name. The work continues. These are incredibly important cures that we're working towards. What's the messaging mix between the work being done on COVID and the work being done on these other diseases? You know, I think that ultimately kind of depends on the news cycle. And, you know, if we had a great big breakthrough in Parkinson's or cancer, I'm sure that it would get covered um, pretty quickly. I mean, before COVID, we were talking a lot about CAR-T therapy, having a big breakthrough on cancer. That research has not stopped. It has continued. However, with COVID really, I mean, you turn on the news, that's pretty much all you hear about on a daily basis. It's really, you know, it's, it's stolen the airwaves. But if you think about the progress that we were able to, to see with even the COVID vaccine, you have decades worth of research that went into discovering those vaccines. And what industry, you know, outside of, of health is making 30, 40 year investments on things that may or may, may not pan out to, to be needed. Um, and I think that's the great thing about, about the biopharmaceutical industry is that we're taking a chance and finding ways to really commit to learning and understanding how we can advance medicine in the future. Yeah, I mean, this is a little bit of a personal anecdote, but both my sister and my brother-in-law work at huge biotech companies. And it was a year ago and we're all coming to terms with the enormity of COVID. And, you know, I don't understand the first thing about science. And they were like, you don't seem to understand, like we might not get a vaccine. And I'm like, what are you talking about? We're like, we'll figure it out, won't we? And they're like, no. And even if we come up with one, maybe, you know, the efficacy of it. And so now we, here we are a year later and the accomplishments of this industry are, are incredible. I mean, it's something of a miracle in many ways, right? How do you communicate that authentically, right? This is this incredible accomplishment for your industry, for humankind. We're now rolling this stuff out. People are getting vaccinated. The results seem to be very, very strong. What's your role as a communicator and a marketer in talking about the accomplishments mm-hmm. of your membership? I think, you know, for us, it's not, we don't want to take a victory lap or pat ourselves on the back, but let's take a look and remind everyone what it took to be able to do this. I mean, this is, this is a commitment of an industry that's looking forward at, you know, possible health issues, finding ways to invest in science, to 
to learn as much as possible, to learn from um, what we call setbacks. You know, it takes often on average 10 years and a billion dollars in, in research to bring one medicine to market. And there's far more failures than it's just successes. So the fact that we were able to get multiple vaccine candidates approved for emergency use authorization so quickly, it's quickly in terms of looking at the pandemic and when uh, how people's life has has experienced it, but it's not quick in terms of what we've done from an R&D perspective. Again, decades worth of research looking at SARS virus and variants and, um, you know, mRNA technology. There's a ton of learning that's built, uh, you know, year after year to be able to move quickly and apply that scientific expertise to really understand what can you know, combat COVID-19. All right, let's get a little bit more tactical here. Okay. So pharma decided to build out its own MarTech stack. A lot okay. of organizations might use something that's off the shelf or leverage uh, an agency partner, but you made the decision to build out a proprietary platform. What was the decision-making process like around that? And then can you talk a little bit about the benefits and what you've learned from that experience? Sure. So from um, Pharma's perspective, this was an evolutionary journey in terms of building solutions that really met our unique advocacy needs. Um, you hear MarTech a lot more with consumer marketing and kind of big brands and how they're leveraging marketing technology to better support selling a particular product or service. Pharma is a bit different. We're not looking to sell medication. That's the job of our, of our member companies. We're looking to sell policy ideas um, and build support around healthcare policy that will really help improve the lives of patients and improve our ability to research and develop new medications. So in doing that, um, you know, we were evaluating quite a few different options just in terms of, do we go with all agency support and just pay them kind of the fees that are associated with the work that they do for us? But then we wouldn't own the data at the, in the same way that if we had our own solution. Then we looked at solutions that said that they could do all arms of what our, our MarTech stack does and really, we didn't find one that met all the needs of an advocacy organization. So what that led us to do is kind of create a comprehensive audit of our organizational needs to better understand where we wanted to own our own proprietary data, where we would want to plug in agency support, because pharma's a healthy-sized trade association, but I'm not a... I'm not a marketer. I don't have a huge marketing staff. There's three people on my team. <laughs> um, and uh, so really we started building and evaluating components for what their strengths were. It allowed us to pick and, and choose kind of what was most valuable of, of certain products and offerings and build our own platform um, in coordination with one of our agencies who kind of helped design our, our MarTech environment. So now we have full control over our tech stack. We have multiple agency partners supporting our campaigns that are able to plug into it. And it's really become the backbone of our marketing efforts online, um, allows us to kind of track our audience behavior from 
unknown sources down to once someone has signed up and given us our email, we have a great understanding of what their user journey and engagement um, with the industry is from, from a pharma marketing perspective. Any lessons learned? Um, you might not get it right on the first try. I think every year we're making tweaks and swapping out solutions, especially as our program has grown. We found that, you know, what we thought we would value the most in the beginning kind of evolved and changed. And so we've swapped out some components of our stack um, and built in additional components. For instance, this year, we, we introduced a digital asset management system. Um, we put out a ton of content and just needed a better solution for tracking both production, but also kind of end user engagement with that content. Are there any new marketing trends or new capabilities that you're seeing in the association and public affairs space that have caught your eye? You know, just um, in terms of data sources and better understanding how to target, um, you know, pharma is really interested in how do we get the most efficient targeting for our, our marketing dollar investment um, and looking at new and cutting edge edge data sources that allow us to get really hyper-targeted and reach the people that, that we need to communicate our message with and having a good understanding of kind of what our advocate profile might look like, an individual issue, but then also better understanding who are uh, the policymakers and their surrounding influencers on a given issue that we need to be able to reach and communicate with. Um, you know, we're always evaluating new data sources and exploring a cool, couple new cool ways to map kind of that influence. Um, so I think that's some, somewhere we're going, especially as Google make remove cookies in 2022. How do we change up um, our marketing practices? The other hurdle we're facing this year with the social media platforms, Facebook and Twitter changing the way um, you can target issue advocacy content, um, just given the you know, the issues of the last election. Retargeting is like <laughs> 101, right? For, for, so without retargeting, how do you envision the, the blocking and tackling around digital marketing online happening? Well, I mean, I think that's really where first part investment in first party data that you can, and having, you know, we're lucky that we kind of saw around the corner and saw the need to, to own our own data and be able to evolve. Um, you know, other organizations working directly with agencies, I hope that they're, they're also looking around the corners for their clients because their value <laughs> is making sure people can still accomplish what they want to do. But I mean, that the value of first party data is going to be incredible going into next year. And that's where, you know, where we're really kind of following the cutting edge, but also keeping very close to our lawyers and making sure that nothing we're doing is, is considered stalking at this point. I might start a new podcast about like the, the intersection of lawyers and marketers and just, it will just be like a complaint fest on both sides, I think. Well, I just remember when the lawyer started proposing, oh, you need acknowledgement of cookie use. It has to be active acknowledgement of people, you know, got a little bit outraged that that might be part of the, the journey. And now I feel like every website you go to, it's like pops up, but like cookies are being used. <laughs> Lauren, thank you so much for being uh, a part of this. No problem. Thank you for having me. 
Lauren, thank you again for your amazing wisdom today. If you like today's conversation, you will love the next episode with Becky Simon, who is the Director of Demand Generation at Smartsheet. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, with Becky Simon.